what we do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome to this episode of the Marks Podcast. My name is David Stabman. As always, I'm joined by my good friend, Angela and Lisa. So we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, after, I think, what was it, three straight WCWs? Yep. Right? Roughly. We're back to... We're, we're, we're going back north. We're back up to WWF. 1997, I feel like we're at a... We're in a period that we haven't covered a whole lot on this uh, on this podcast. 1997 WWF, early 97, as we build up to WrestleMania 13. It is WWF in your house, Final Four. Thankfully, a a pretty brief one is in your house, so it's shorter than your your average pay per view, an hour 45 or so, instead of your normal two and a half hours. Um, actually a pretty damn good main event, I have to say. Um, and some, some fun stuff on the show, um, for a little five match card. More than the sum of its parts, I would have to say. I, I, I think it's actually, uh, I had a good time. So, really been looking forward to talking about this one. What's going on, Ange? I mean, this is a solid show. I, I enjoy actually shows built like this. I actually think that this style of card for pay-per-view works perfectly for that WWF every month pay-per-view kind of system because you get to put guys out there that maybe don't always get on pay-per-views or the important pay-per-views. You kind of get to see what they're like in like a main event setting or in a special event setting and, you know, see what plays, what doesn't play, where to tinker, who to go. And like, it's just a kind of good way to freshen things up because you're going to have some big names on there always, but you're not always going to have those guys. Now, we do have these guys for the show, but you also have a lot yeah. of guys on the show that normally aren't on pay-per-views or when you think of, like, main eventers for WWF. Yeah, we have a couple future main eventers in a, in a pretty big spot on the card. Um, and then that main event is really jammed up with the, the bigger names in WWF at the time, uh, considering Shawn Michaels is now, for the time out of the picture um, as they are trying to uh, sort of figure out the fallout of the 1997 Rumble, which had kind of a confusing ending, um, and get things moving towards WrestleMania 13, which of course will be best remembered for the real start of the rise of superstardom to Stone Cold Steve Austin. When you talk about the match that really made him was the submission match with Brett at Mania 13, one of the greatest matches in WrestleMania history. Um, I feel like WWF likes to act like Austin 316 was the start. Like He cut the Austin 316 promo, and then all of a sudden Austin was the top guy. It took a while for him to actually get there in real life. And this is a step along the way towards Stone Cold really becoming that fucking guy that we know and love. Uh, but yeah, a very fun main event uh, for the vacant WWF title at Fatal 4-Way. And a, we, we have a couple uh, debuting guys, which have, have been, we've done this fucking podcast so many times that like, we're like running out of guys who haven't been on the show in some form or another at some point. It's been but, a minute since I've updated the spreadsheet too, but I do believe last count, 
we are in the 730s of like unique wrestlers, which is pretty fucking insane. And that's going to grow hopefully next week as well. Uh, or ne- yeah, next week, next time we do this podcast. Hint, hint. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, yeah, so it sounds like we're just ready to remember some fucking guys. Let us remember the guys, David. Let's get to these guys. Let's remember the guys. It is February 16th, 1997. We are at the UTC Arena in Chattanooga, Tennessee, home of the Chattanooga Mocks. Uh, not Mox as in Moxley. Although I did think it was funny. Um, at one point, um, Jerry the King Lawler said something about the Mox. I didn't realize that there's a, the team was named after moccasins. Yeah, they're snakes. Uh, and then, like, I, I thought that he was, like, doing that as, like, oh, he's just making a, a dumb Jerry Lawler joke. But that's actually where the, the origin of the name Mox comes from. It's literally short for moccasins. Yep. Uh, which I thought was interesting. So it's like, Jerry Lawler might have accidentally been right. Uh, 6,399 people here in Chattanooga for the 13th In Your House pay-per-view. This is right after, just a couple of nights before on Raw, Shawn Michaels gave the infamous I've Lost My Smile promo and given up the WWF title. So now we need to figure out a new champion heading uh, heading into WrestleMania coming up. Um, continue to kind of hash out the confusing ending to the 97 Rumble where we had a disputed winner um, and figure out who is going to be in that main event spot and fight uh, who appears to be Sid for the title at WrestleMania. So we have a Fatal 4-Way elimination match later on with some really big names. Uh, Jerry the King Lawler and Jim Ross on the call, and we're starting out with singles action. It is the wild man, Mark Marrow, taking on Leaf Cassidy, of course, better known as Al Snow before he was doing the head gimmick. He was like still doing the uh, his, his new rockers gimmick from the year before when he was teaming with Marty Jannetty. Uh, kind of a funny gimmick, by the way, like <laughs> completely dead on arrival, but it was like sort of like an alternate universe, like evil rockers where they're like doing all the rocker shit, but they're like kind of dicks sort of funny actually um and both guys were good workers so it actually was okay um but wild man mark Miro, accompanied of course by sable who's wearing sunglasses indoors for some reason like dark sunglasses um and this match is it's a working the leg match it turns into a working the leg match david's favorite um yeah not a huge fan of that but it is what it is when you get sable uh trying to interfere um, and, and, and uh, slaps Leaf Cassidy a couple times on the outside. Um, Mark Miro hits a cool slingshot leg drop into the ring. Eventually, Cassidy comes back with a couple drop kicks to the leg, and he really works over that leg. I mean, he gives that thing the fucking works for a while. Puts him in the figure four for a little bit. Eventually, uh, Miro makes the ropes. He goes, uh, Leaf Cassidy goes to the outside, goes after Sable. She slaps him. He grabs her, but at that moment, Mark Miro hits a suicide dive onto the floor, and Mark Miro gets his comeback. After getting his leg worked on for seven minutes, all of a sudden, the leg is completely fine. Yeah. Uh, and he hits a Samoan drop and the shooting star press, and he wins the match. Nine minutes and 30 seconds. Miro is a decent worker. I mean, like, he's got, like, that open the arm drags and fireman carries to start off the match. The slingshot leg drop's kind of cool. 
But yeah, you could be selling that leg. I mean, the whole story of the match is that, hey, the leg's getting targeted. The leg's getting targeted. Oh, is he going to be able to do this? And he doesn't sell it at all down the stretch. But I will always pop for a shooting star press in 1996. That will never not amaze me because that's just like unheard of for that time period. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, like people have been doing it, but not many. Right. I mean, Liger had admitted the move in like, what, like 1990, 91. I, who who was really doing a shooting star press on like American TV? Like, Not that I can think of. I don't even think that really Kidman was like around yet, like on WCW. Too cold, was, maybe. Like, not that much. I don't think I don't think Scorpio was doing it. Like, it was like Miro was one of the only guys doing it. And Miro is like you know not a little cruiserweight guy either. So it's very impressive. Like, and he has a good one. Like. I, I would say this. He has a better one than Kidman does. Oh, absolutely. Kidman always looked like, and Kidman was a smaller guy. Kidman always looked like he was going to fucking impale himself, like go straight into the fucking ground and die every time he did it. And somehow he would miraculously, like, rotate at the last second and, like, survive. Like a Jeff Hardy swanton. <laughs> yeah. Like a Jeff Hardy swanton now. <laughs> like, Jeff Hardy is just, like, he can't, he's not light on his feet, so he just ends up squashing the guy when he does it. That news last he week just, still hurts. Like, oh, God, this could go really bad whenever he goes up there. Yeah. Miro's is actually, like, pretty good. I Do- feel like Mark Miro's a guy that if he came around, like, uh, let's say 20 years later, he could have been a much bigger deal than he was, like, at the time that he was wrestling. I don't know. Twenty years late, because uh, that puts him in yeah. the 2010s. Yeah, because uh, the guy came from, around around like yeah, 15, 20 years later. I think he could have been a much bigger deal. I, I, I see. I like the tools are certainly there. I will say that for Miro. I just think that that era of WWE, it was Punk, it was Brian, and then not a lot else got over. No, I mean I'm I'm envisioning him like. You know, because maybe the guy, a little, maybe a little Mark Miro PWG. Okay. Maybe a little, maybe a little Mark Miro Ring of Honor. Okay. You know, maybe a little Mark Miro. You know, fucking a guy who was like physically impressive and could do some like more athletic stuff than you generally saw out of guys his size. Actually, he would have done great in TNA. Mark, a little Mark Miro TNA. You know, it's one of the like. The, the bigger guys in the X Division, I don't fucking know. I, I could see him doing some cool shit if he had come along later on. Do we think Leaf Cassidy is related to Orange Cassidy? Yes, Leaf Cassidy is Orange Cassidy's father. Cool. Just want to make yeah. sure that was canon. That, that is that is canon. That is confirmed. That's in the that's in the expanded I'm, universe. It's in the AEW expanded universe. I mean, where do you get oranges from? Leaves. Exactly. That's that's true. <laughs> yeah, you you right on the fucking money there. There we go. We, we have cracked the I, I, case. I, we, ladies and gentlemen, we figured it out. We figured it out. But yeah, always going to enjoy a uh, Mark Miro shooting star press. This match, you know, it's not great because it's like, yeah, we had one of these like a couple weeks ago with the Booker T match where it's like it's a working the leg match and then he gets to come back and all of a sudden, oh yeah, my leg's fine. None, none, of, none of what you just watched for the last like 10 minutes mattered. Nope. You know, I Don't. feel like it's like, I'm not against working the leg matches at all. Like, it's a perfectly valid story, but, like, it needs to, like, matter. I feel like so many people do it just because it's like, well, I'm going to get my heat, and I kind of don't really know what to do, so I'm just going to do this for a while. Yeah. And then, like, okay, that's over. Now we're just going to do the rest of our match. Look, you could still do your moves. Like, you could still hit the shooting star press, but, like, it adds a layer of realism if you're continuing to sell the leg that has just gotten targeted for, like, five of the nine minutes of this match. 
Yeah. All right, honestly, like, one of the best working the leg matches I've ever seen has the fucking Young Bucks in it, the guys who, like, you know, have shit, like, gotten shit because, like, oh, we never work a body part, you know? <laughs> like, one of the best working the leg matches I've ever seen was uh, the Bucks versus Evil and Sonata at Dominion 2019. Fucking, like, just fantastic. Um, and, like, they make it matter at every single point of the match. That's what it should be like, not like this. But Mark Miro still does some cool shit, and it's okay. This, okay, here's the thing that fucking pissed me off, right? Mark Miro wins the match. Okay, whatever. That's over. Honky Tonk Man comes out. I'm like, oh shit, it's Honky. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. We are, we are in Tennessee, you know. We're not too far from Music City, I guess. I don't know exactly where it is in fucking Tennessee. Uh, but, so yeah, here's Honky. Like, they show Honky coming up and, and getting in the ring. They cut away from him. They cut away from Honky. They cut to, in full, the HBK Shawn Michaels lost my smile promo from Raw. And then we get a Sid promo. You know, he cuts his typical screaming Sid promo that is only somewhat intelligible. That's generous. And then they cut back to the ring and Honky's gone! We didn't even get to see any of Honky. What the fuck? Yeah. Honky man. We got, we didn't get to see, what the fuck did he do? What'd he say? What did he do? Did he fucking, uh, did he play his fucking song? Should we cancel him? Did he say something cancelable? Did he finally fucking uh, beat the shit out of Jeff Jarrett for stealing his gimmick? No, we we have no fucking idea. That is lost to to time. Whatever the fuck Honky Tonk Man did at In Your House Final Four is lost to the fucking winds of time. Hey, David, what is Brodus Clay doing here in 1996? Yeah, speaking of guys stealing gimmicks, I mean, they completely, like, yeah, Flash Funk, Too Cold Scorpio, it is literally just, like, so they did the Flash Funk gimmick. They literally have, like, the Funkadactyls, like, the two women dancing with them. Um, And then, okay, that didn't get over. And then 15 years later, Vince McMahon is like, okay, but what if we did the exact same gimmick, gimmick again? with like a really big guy and then it also didn't get over (laughs) but maybe that means 15 years from now well you know today it would be a 2.0 gimmick right away today there's i don't know if you've seen what they're doing with shanky Ooh, they might be leading the funk shanky I, 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 that, that could happen. The Shankadactyl. This might be Vince McMahon's last gasp before he <laughs> before he loses control of WWE forever. The contract uh, says Khan, but it says Nick Khan. Yeah. He's, he's going to try and uh, get the funk gimmick over one last fucking time for the road before he's done. Uh, but yeah, it is a six-man tag. It is Flash Funk, a.k.a. Two and a Half Marks podcast favorite, Two Cold Scorpio. Uh, entrance takes forever. This is a random fucking tag team. Flash Funk, Bart Gun, not Billy Gun, Bart Gun, and Gold Dust. Uh, it's just a fucking just three guys. Gold Dust is the cornerstone of every weird team ever. Yes, every weird thrown together team in history has had Gold Dust in. Um, they are taking on the Nation of Domination team. I had to say one thing about you know like. WWF around this time kind of sucked, but the Nation of Domination was always cool, and they were babyfaces. Don't let anyone tell you the Nation of Domination were heels, because they were babyfaces. 
and they come out of the crowd. They have a, they just had a cool fucking ambiance about them coming out of the crowd. They have uh, the tag team PG 13. You know, they have the two white rappers rapping shittily on the way to the ring, which, you know, a rapping entrance in 1996, David, come on. Yeah. Um, it is the team of Farouk, Savio Vega and crush. Uh, Accompanied by D'Lo Brown, always cool. We support D'Lo and Clarence Mason. Um, it is so. It is Savio Farouk and Crush taking on Flash Funk, Bart Gunn, and Goldust. Um, and they, you know, they they do the the by any means necessary line. They raise the fist. These guys were fucking cool. I, I just you know I can't cannot cannot speak ill of Nation Domination. Um, this is when uh, Jerry Lawler makes the crack about Mox being short for moccasins, but he turns out he's actually right. I, I, I'm convinced that he was just making a joke and then turned out to accidentally be right. Farouk actually gets a mic. He's like, I guess about to start a promo, but instantly the, uh, the babyface team jump him. And we start with just a brawl and we have a lot of flash funk. He has, you know, two cool Scorpio, one of the coolest motherfuckers ever. Do a bunch of cool moves and he does a bunch of cool moves. It's a big dive to the outside on everybody. And then, Goes for another uh, move off the top rope. Farouk catches him right into his great straight up and down Ron Simmons spine buster. Uh, he tags in Savio Vega. Flash Funk hits a top rope Frankensteiner on Savio and then hits a running dive where Bart Gunn ca- like grabs him and tosses him straight up into the air over the top rope out onto everybody. But the Nation Domination ends up kind of catching Flash Funk out of midair and they dump him and they beat him up. They get the heat on Scorpio for a while. Um, I thought this was kind of weird. Farouk beats up. like You see when Farouk is like beating up Flash Funk in the middle of the ring. He calls him a southern black redneck. When it's like, <laughs> that's yeah, a, he's, from, that, he's, that, he's, from, he's from Denver. <laughs> They're like, I was like, he's like, he's like, Bingo says, this is a southern black redneck. And I was like, bro, he's from Denver, man. Like, what are you talking about? Um... <laughs> He ends up uh, tagging and crush. They do an assisted spike pile driver for a near fall. Uh, Flash Funk flips out of a uh, double clothesline, comes back, hits one of his own. After this shit completely breaks down, uh, we have a uh, tease finish at the end. Bart Gunn hits a top rope bulldog on Farouk, uh, but the ref is turned around, doesn't see the pin, and then Crush hits a leg drop to the back of Bart Gunn's head and then turns the pin over. He puts Farouk on top of Bart Gunn and the referee counts the pin. And uh, Nation of Domination wins six minutes and 42 seconds in a match where did Goldust wrestle? He, I think he was in the ring for like 10 seconds. I remember him doing like one thing. I think that was it. Now that you say something, I don't think he did. I don't think he was ever the legal man. Uh, I think he was for like 15 <laughs> seconds at the very beginning of the match. And then I think he tagged in uh, Flash Funk. And then Flash Funk was legal for like the entire match. Yeah, Flash Funk was his definite star here. I mean, he went off the top rope to the floor, which is always big, especially in 1996. Uh, Ron Simmons just being a massive human being. Like he's by far the biggest one here. Just a, uh, just a beast of a man. Funk kicking out of the pile driver should have been a bigger near fall. Like that should have been sold a little bit more importantly. I get the pile driver maybe wasn't the finisher, but it's still a fucking pile driver. Like the pile driver, like there are very few moves that a pile driver does not match the power level of. 
Because any p- type of pile driver it, it is another power level. It's just so high. It's just such a devastating move. And it should have been a big earth deal for Funk to kick out. Um, the double clothesline counter he had, too, was super cool. Like, Spider-Man shit. Like, that was not a way I've seen it countered before. And, man, people love to shit on AEW refs for uh, being somewhat incompetent. But, holy smokes, this ref was on another level of missing interference. It was just all sorts of a mess. But, yeah, Nation Domination's cool. The oddball tag team had Flash Funk on it, and that's all you can really ask for. Yeah, like, if we're going to get this kind of rando match... At least I get to see Two Cold Scorpio doing some cold shit, man. You get to see Two Cold Scorpio doing some too cold shit, Pia. Because he's one of the coolest fucking wrestlers of all time. And he was 20 years before, he was 20 years ahead of his fucking time. And he's now an indie darling at like 55 years old. Because <laughs> he can still do cool flips. Because he fucking rules. But yeah, Nation Domination, cool gimmick. I always think about, like, I, you ever see the gif that they still play it all the time? Of them doing the, like, they raise the, they do the black power salute. And they cut over to like one like really nerdy skinny white guy in the crowd doing the black power salute with them. <laughs> like, I like that guy so much. Um, I always think about that whenever I see Nation of Domination. But just a, a group that had a lot of presence and will forever be notable for A, having D'Lo Brown, the all-time leader in coolness to screen time ratio in the history of WWE. And for being the vessel through which a young lad named Rocky Maivia became The Rock. Speaking of, he's in this next match. Before that, we have a promo from another uh, rising star in WWF, a guy by the name of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Maybe you've heard of it. Just starting to break through on a main event level here in WWF. He is one of the challengers for the WWF title tonight. He says, cuts this promo, he says, I, you know, I was the real winner of the 97 Royal Rumble. I tossed these three pieces of trash out of the ring. Everyone saw it. Bunch of bureaucratic BS is holding Stone Cold back. But I will be WWF champion. You can count on it. It's a doesn't conspiracy. The, doesn't, you know, a little bit of, you know, Stone Cold fighting the establishment. Don't think that angle is going to go anywhere. Uh, but the kind of promo that he would absolutely, if he had thought of the Line yet would have ended with, and that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. He had not gotten there yet. We're getting there with Stone Cold. Next up, we have another couple of uh, maybe future main eventers. A, uh, a fancy lad, Hunter Hurst Helmsley, challenging for the uh, Intercontinental Championship. A rematch from the previous week's Raw in which he had lost the title to a handsome young lad named Rocky Mayavi. Uh, here's the rematch. Um, this match is okay. Uh, it's fine. It's it's funny because it's like, to me, it's sort of a carry job by Triple H. But it's like Triple H is still pretty green, relatively. But he's just like carrying a much greener guy than he is. Because <laughs> um, The Rock, The Rock is like, very fresh into his wrestling career. I feel like it really shows. Um, but obviously a, a talented, promising young guy uh, does some flashy athletic stuff. Uh, JR and King spend the entire like first half of this match making jokes about how huge Triple H's nose is. <laughs> um, which, yeah, okay, funny. Um, Triple H takes over. It's a bunch of moves on him. 
uh, throws him in the barricade, body slams him on the floor, hits an axe handle on the apron, hits his big running high knee uh, for a near fall. That running high knee looked awesome in this one. Uh, we had it going back and forth. Every time Rocky is starting to build some momentum, Triple H keeps cutting him off. But eventually, Rocky catches him out of midair, fires back, hits power slam, hits a huge diving cross body, which didn't see him do a whole lot later in his career, but very, very impressive looking off the top rope. Uh, Triple H kicks out. He goes for the 10 punches in the corner, but Triple H drops him face first onto the buckle. He goes for a pin with his feet on the ropes. Rocky kicks out. Rocky comes back floating over into a DDT. Uh, Triple H comes up with a neck breaker. Finish of this match comes. So, and this is very interesting. So Goldust shows up. We have our second, maybe this is why Goldust uh, didn't really wrestle in the previous match because he needed to be fully rested to sexually harass Triple H. So Goldust walks out and like sticks his ass out at Triple H, starts slapping his ass. Triple H is very confused about his sexuality at this moment. Um, and then as Triple H is distracted, we had the most devastating finishing move in sports entertainment, the distraction roll-up. <laughs> Not quite the same thing. It is a distraction bridging back suplex, which is a lot cooler than a distraction roll-up. But yeah, Rocky comes up behind him. It's the bridging back suplex. Gets the pin. Rocky Maivia retains the title. 12 minutes and 30 seconds. Afterwards, Goldust gets in the ring. He has Marlena, his manager at ringside. A mysterious, very buff woman who we have never seen before emerges out of the crowd and grabs Marlena in a chokehold and chokes her out before she gets dragged off by security. Everyone's like, who the fuck is, who is this massive fucking jacked woman? That would, of course, be the first appearance in WWF television of the late, great China. Right there, w, uh, in your house, Final Four. Yeah, uh, honestly, the China spot was super cool just to see, uh, like, because this is very obviously the debut of her and how awesome she was as a professional wrestler in general. Like, she was just incredible. And I love the fact they kind of do a little bit of the blurring the lines thing. Because imagine just how crazy it would be if this woman just choked out uh, a WWF talent and then two weeks later shows up on TV as a wrestler because it's like, you know, well, she did assault one of our employees, but look at her. She looks incredible. We got to sign her now. Yeah. So like, I know she committed a felony by coming out of the crowd and invading our show and physically attacking and incapacitating one of our wrestlers. But goddamn, look at her. Holy shit. What it's, a you know specimen. What? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this absolute unit of a woman. China is cool. R.I.P. But this just a one of a kind fucking human being. Yes. Um, That said, you're right. This match isn't great. But in the same way that I'm allured to 2.0, NXT 2.0, because sometimes the content's awful on 2.0. I will be honest. Sometimes it's crap. Uh, For every Braun Breaker, there's a Joe Gacy dryad shit that's just missing the mark no matter yeah, how hard he tries that? why is what, what is joe is he an evil cult leader now what the yeah fuck he, 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 he's now walmart brand uh bray wyatt he's yeah. he's what corporate that? bray or woke bray i don't know which way you want to play it but it's bad oh corporate gray hell yeah Gacy, I mean, we, did, we already had the corporate ministry in like 1999 we could do corporate we could do a corporate bray wyatt like all the lines he taught me is that i like i like joe gacy but fuck, man, no one could get that gimmick over. 
Anyway, uh, I, you know that is—it's just gone in such a weird fucking direction. I just don't understand it. But like, you have two guys who are very kind of gimmick-forward. Rocky Maivia just being the you know prototype young dude in that same mold as a Braun Breaker, John Cena, Austin Theory, or just Theory now. Uh, and then you have uh, aristocrat Hunter Hearst Helmsley. So like, two guys that have very big characters. They put on a decent match together for young guys. Uh, it's super cool too, just because I think of Rocky as much older than he really is. Because when I think of like the rock and triple H, I always think of rock as like, Oh, he had his peak earlier than trips. Cause trips continued on through the mid two thousands, late two thousands when rock rocks career was pretty much done by 2005. Yeah. He came back for a few matches, but for the most part, he was done wrestling by then. Yeah. But it's funny that they were young at the same time, and it makes sense. It's just that Rock went Hollywood very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and and people forget, like, Rock was at his absolute peak of his, like, fame and power in wrestling, and he was in his late 20s. He was, like, 27, 28 years old. And it was, like, he was, you know, he was such a fucking star and, like, so self-possessed and so charismatic that, like, you didn't realize that he was, like, one of the younger guys on the roster, really. I mean, he he in this match is 24. And he's only, I mean, at this point, like, he's, he's obviously so green. He's only been wrestling. He's been wrestling less than a year. He's 24 years old. He's already on a WWF table. And he looks like he's built in a lab. A lot, of, a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, his, his family, right? But, like, yeah, this motherfucker was built in a lab to be a pro wrestler. It's funny, too, because... People use like I always hear people compare Ricky Starks to The Rock, and I never quite got it because Ricky Starks is this very small human being. Not very small. He's about my size, but in much better shape. Uh, but I never quite got The Rock comparisons from him. And then, like, I watch this match. I see how Rock looks. And then I look at Ricky Starks. And I'm like, Ricky Starks really is just mini Rock. Like, he's got the yeah. – he's got that charisma about him. Um, he could He could just – you know, he goes in the ring. Like, he's a really good wrestler. And, like, you – if Starks is not a world champion, then what are we doing here in AEW? Because he has he has that level of charisma. He is he really is just mini rock. He is rock with the feet and inches switched. Yeah, I, I don't want to be one of those guys because I'm a huge fan of the like you know, like the undisputed area guys and all that shit, but like I feel like at a certain point, uh if there's one complaint I have about AEW booking is like too much shine going to the X NXT X WWE guys, and less going to like, let's say Starks and Hobbs. Yes, I want everybody when 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 Powerhouse Hobbs is not on the TV screen. Every should everybody else should be looking around saying, "Where's Hobbs? Where's Hobbs? Why isn't Hobbs here?" And then he shows up, and everyone cheers. Swerving Keith Lee. I mean, like again, Keith Lee's X NXT, but like, and Swerve is too. But like those two guys. Really, you don't associate with NXT or WWE. Keith Lee, with how unseriously he got tossed by uh, the entire program, it makes sense that he's kind of like, I don't even associate them. Like, Undisputed Era ran NXT. Keith Lee had a brief run, and then he jumped to the main roster and got nothing done. Swerve had some moments in the mid-card, and then got called up, and then nothing happened. But those are two guys that would be ripe to explore. We've seen UE... And we've seen that story play out. And while they're a great faction, we don't need the UE extended universe in AEW. Unless yeah, it, they, unless this is all leading to like a Kenny Omega faction versus Adam yeah. Cole faction, faction, nothing. It, it, there's nothing that really interests me there. That's what I've always believed. 
they are those those and again kyle o'reilly and bobby fish are so they are great they they really are i I don't want to talk down to them at all because they really are fantastic wrestlers kyle especially uh like his match with moxley was great last week but they are more interesting to me as like pawns for like an eventual uh like elite like breakup feud than they are like just guys being in the main event right now. And with Kenny Omega out for God knows how long, who knows when that's actually going to happen. So they're just kind of there doing shit and doing, you know, having good matches and everything. But like spinning their wheels. Yeah. It, it just, you know, some guys are, some guys are falling by the wayside. Uh, that has nothing to do with this match. <laughs> but yeah, I, this match is, it's, it's fine. You know, it, you know, Triple H kind of carries them. It's just funny to see Rock this green. I mean, he is so fucking green. It's so cool. It's because yeah. it's like it's like the rookie year thing. It's like you get to see how he was as a rookie, and just you know where it goes, and you're like, holy shit, this is incredible. That's yeah. kind of, that's the allure of it. And just like realizing, like, like within a few years, how far he came. Not just as a personality. Obviously, he became one of the you know, most charismatic, you know, stars on the mic in the history of wrestling. But as a wrestler, too, I've always enjoyed watching him wrestle. He, he just improved so much in a short period of time. That's why he's one of the greatest ever. One of the fucking goats, The Rock. His first title run in WWE. Next up, we have, and of course, the debut of China. Don't want to, you know, bury that. Also, very significant moment. Next up, we have uh, Vader promo. He's being managed by Paul Bear at this point, who has turned on The Undertaker. Typical Vader promo says he's going to kick everyone's ass. Bear gets on the mic, says he's already destroyed everybody. And you know what time is it? It's Vader time. Next up, this is a tag team match that, like, if you know, you know, like, you get excited about this one. It is the team of Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, and Owen Hart taking on Doug Furness and Phil LaFon, who I know I've made you watch some Doug Furness and Phil LaFon shit recently because they are – nobody remembers who these guys were. This is a tag team that was uh, – you know, did their best work in the early 90s in all Japan, had some fantastic matches, um, and then ended up for a kind of forgotten – WWF run like 96, 97. They are challenging for the titles here. Um, very well were. I, I really enjoyed watching this match uh, up until the finish, which is a little weird. We'll get there. Very well worked match. Everything executed on point. Both Furness and LaFont to me, very fun to watch. Uh, athletic, technically sound, especially Doug Furness, who is a fucking talent. I mean, you watch Doug Furness. This guy was something special. Uh, we talk a little more about him. A lot of this match is uh, after some, some cool opening stuff, they get the heat on Phil LaFon for a while. Uh, get some, they have some good hope spots. Uh, Owen goes through a crossbody. goes through a crossbody. LaFon rolls through, but then Owen rakes his eye and hits a gun wrench suplex on him. Um LaFon gets Bulldog pinned with a sunset flip, but Ref doesn't see it because, you know, they do the, Owen is in the ring arguing with him, so it doesn't turn around. 
They hit, I love the vertical suplex cross-body combo that they would do. They hit it on LaFon for a near fall. Afterwards, they start arguing for some reason. This is one of the storylines of this match. Uh, Owen Hart and British Bulldog, who are uh, brothers-in-law in real life, starting to have some disagreements here, not really seeing eye to eye. Uh, what's going to happen there? They start arguing, and Phil LaFon Naga knockers them. Uh, Owen ends up accidentally spinning heel kicking uh, Bulldog. They argue some more. Owen smacks Bulldog, and then uh, Bulldog comes back and clotheslines him. And LaFon hits a big diving splash right after this on Owen, but the Bulldog breaks it up. Uh, we get a really good hot tag right after this from Doug Furness. He hits a big drop kick, a great overhead belly to belly. Uh, they do a double back a body drop. LaFon gets back in, hits a bridging Northern Lights suplex. Furnace hits a Hurricane Rana into a pin, but the Bulldog breaks it up. Um, they do a double, they do a DDT into Furnace hitting a leg drop on Owen, but Owen kicks out. Um, Owen comes back, hits an Enzigiri. Davy Boy hits a big drop kick. Davy Boy gets like kind of a hot tag, even though he's a heel. Um, he goes for, uh, they go for the double Bulldog, but then they end up pushing Davy Boy and Owen into each other. And the finish of this match comes, Phil LaFon has uh, British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith in the corner for the 10 punches. Davy Boy ends up fighting out of it, gets Phil LaFon up for the power slam, and hits the power slam. But while he has him up for the power slam, Owen Hart takes a shot at Davy Boy, uh, takes a shot at LaFon with his Slammy Award trophy. And that leads to Doug Furness and Phil LaFon getting the win by disqualification. I, I don't think the finish makes any sense. We can talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Furness and LaFon get the DQ win. 10 minutes and 30 seconds, what that means. Owen Hart, British Bulldog, obtain the titles afterwards. Bulldog and Owen argue. Uh, Bulldog throws the belts away. Takes the Slammy Award away and throws it on the ground. He's pissed off. Because Owen just cost him a chance at actually winning the match cleanly and, you know, retaining the titles in a, in a normal manner. Uh, but eventually, cooler heads prevail and they walk to the back. The Owen and Bulldog stuff really made this match a little bit harder to follow. It was very distracting and it was very, like, it's interesting and illogical at the same time, which is a really rare kind of thing to, like, uh, straddle. Like, because it made sense why they were kind of arguing back and forth at the same time. It would wouldn't it make sense because they would go right back up. Similar, like the not selling the leg in a sell the uh, in a target the leg match. It was just like up and down with the. Sometimes it mattered. Sometimes it didn't. It wasn't a consistent like, oh, this played out. It was just like sometimes they were pissed at each other. Sometimes they weren't. It was very hard to follow with that regard. The soling suplex and crossbody combo though was fantastic. Um, but it really did that. The drama did distract me from the match and the post-match stuff also was kind of very confusing. I will say this though, as part of my homework assignment, I mean, Furnace Lafon versus Kobashi Kikuchi was just fantastic. Yes. It was so, so yeah. good. I've never like that crowd. It was a small crowd. It looked like it was in a gym, but like, holy shit, were they loud? No, yeah. that, it, the, the ratio of crowd to decibels. Had to be greater than ten. Yeah. Utter insanity. For for uh, context, when we got this uh, got this card, and we saw there was Doug Furness and Phil Lafon. Angelo was like Doug Furness and Phil Lafon. Who the fuck is that? So I made him watch 
and I will request everyone listening to this podcast watch this match. May 1992, All Japan Pro Wrestling, Kenta Kobashi and Siyoshi Kikuchi against Furnace and Lafon. Lafon wrestling at the time under the name Dan Crawford. Um in All Japan Pro Wrestling for the All Asia Tag Titles. Five star, five star Meltzer match. Uh, an absolute fucking banger. In front of, it's, it's about 55 it's about 5,500 people in like kind of a, you know, medium sized, like, you know, sort of gym, gymnasium. Um, it is the loudest fucking crowd of all time. It is like they are, they are cheering for Kenta Kobashi like he is ascending to heaven before their eyes. Uh, like Kenta Kobashi could have done anything that night and they would have cheered for him. Like he could have done any, any number of felonies and he still would have gotten like just rapturously cheered. One of the coolest matches ever. Doug Furness, especially, is just such a joy for me to watch because the man is a fucking freak or was a freak. Rest in peace, Doug Furness. Like, such a fun talent. This guy was a, um, like, world-class, like, champion powerlifter. Guy who, like, benched, like, 600 pounds. Who could, like, do, like, leaping fucking, like, ranas and shit. Like, was just a crazy athlete. Uh, just a, an absolute physical specimen. Who I just every time I get the chance to watch, watch Doug Furness, it is so I, I I really really get a kick out of it. This match was good. I, I liked watching this match. It would have been better if we got more of Doug Furness cooking. Let Doug cook. Yeah, it, it, I I, I do I do wish that Furness and Lafon got more time as opposed to the uh, heart family drama. Yeah, it, the finish of the match doesn't make any sense to me either. Because it just kind of makes Owen look stupid. Like, kind of, it just it makes Owen kind of look like a stupid pussy to me. Because it's like, it's one thing if, like, so the finish of the match is uh, he hits Lafon with the Slammy Award and he gets disqualified. But it would have made more sense, right, if he had done it like in a moment where where the British Bulldog was in trouble. Yeah. And Owen is coming in to save uh, his brother-in-law by, you know, using the illegal the illegal weapon and getting, getting him disqualified and then maybe still pissed off about that. But, like, he does it as British Bulldog is in the process of hitting his finishing move. Like, they're about to win the match. I mean, like, he's hitting the move that he does to win all the matches. And, like, like so Owen Hart is not helping them in any way. It's just, like, you don't recognize that he's winning the match right now. Like, he literally has him up on his shoulder for the move that you have seen him do to win, like, 100,000 matches. It's just, like, okay, is Owen Hart supposed to be stupid or what? I mean, uh, it did seem like that was the goal is just to make – Owen looked kind of like a doof. Well, that's not great. No. Because Owen's a great wrestler. And is really cool. So what the fuck are we doing here? Where is this going? Being WWF, that's what. I I, I just, it doesn't make, the finish doesn't make any sense. Like, there's a reason why you never see people do that, like, DQ spot, when they so clearly have the upper hand. Because it doesn't make any sense to do it then. Because you're about to win. Like, yes, you can cheat, but if you're going to win anyway, you don't need to cheat. Who? Kn- it's just 
the more you think about it, the less sense it makes. Let's we we should probably just move on. It seems like you're going down a very dark hole with this because it is it is just bewildering booking decisions. Let Doug Furnace pee. Uh, hashtag Let Doug Furnace cook. Let Doug Furnace cook. So, uh, next up, we have got the main event. Only five matches on this card, so we're going to get in and out of here quick. It is the Final Four match. Fatal four-way elimination with WWF title. Right before we get an Undertaker promo, he tells the three other men they must hope that he spares their lives. And if they get in his way, I will annihilate you. Rest in peace. Made of time, it is. Vader, Stone Cold, Undertaker, and Bret Hart. Right before we hit the ring, we do have Bret Hart interviewed by Kevin Kelly. I always love seeing Kevin Kelly, who of course has been for years, terrific um, English commentator for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, but it's always funny to like be reminded of like the fact that he was like a backstage interviewer for WWF like 25 years ago. And you just see this very baby faced Kevin Kelly interviewing Bret Hart. And you're like, oh, shit, it's Kevin Kelly. I always I always think that's funny as a huge New Japan head. We get a, a really good Bret Hart promo. He says, all those guys are tough, but I have experience at heart. Whoever walks out is rightfully the champ and let the best man win. Me. So it is Vader, Stone Cold, Undertaker, Bret Hart. And the rules are it's an elimination match, pinfall, elimination can be scored by pinfall, submission, or, so none of these guys actually have to job out, tossing them over the top rope like it's the fucking New Japan Rumble. <laughs> uh, Brett hits the ring, and we go straight off to the races. Again, we hadn't had very many, like, big multi-man matches like this at this point in 1997. They hadn't really yet learned what is the cardinal rule of being in a multi-man match. That you are either A, in the center of the action, or B, out of the way so people forget that you're there. Everybody is doing something at all times in this match. At times it is very distracting. It's very hard to follow. It is a complete car crash, but in the best way, because it's actually really entertaining from bell to bell. But there is just so much going on because these guys, all four guys, never stop fighting for 25 minutes. And, you know, in the end of the day, it actually kind of works. But, you know, this kind of match isn't going to work for everybody. Um, so we are really right off to the races. Everyone kind of pairs up and they start going. Early on, we have uh, Vader... Just you see him hit that belly to belly on Taker, where Taker like oh doesn't gosh. jump at all. None. And Vader, this fucking, you know, absolute alien freak of nature, just muscles him the fuck over and hits the belly to belly on this 300 pound behemoth. Vader, just a one of a kind, fucking insane person. Um, Vader and Taker fight over to the timekeeper's area. Vader throws Howard Finkel on the ground. How dare he? And uh, goes after Taker with the chair. Um, Taker boots the chair into Vader's face. Um, yeah, you, you really, you see them learn the lesson. You don't want necessarily want everybody in the ring doing a lot of shit at once because you'll get in the way of each other's spots. And that does happen a few times here. 
Um, Vader ends up bleeding very early in this match, and he bleeds a lot. I mean, he gets the crimson mask under his actual, the, the proverbial crimson mask under his actual literal crimson mask. Um, but yeah, this is a lot of action in this match. Uh, Vader gets the chair, beats Brett up with it. We have Austin and Taker fight up the ramp. Austin picks up the, uh, the steel steps and throws them at Vader and lands on him. Um, Austin whips Vader into the timekeeper's area, hits him with the belt, and then Vader just like no-sells it and turns around and just whips his ass. This really becomes just a wild brawl everywhere. All four guys. Uh, Brett and Vader fight into the crowd. Uh, we cut over to Sid, who's going to face the winner, watching backstage, actually watching TV at a semi-normal angle, <laughs> but not like, like still a little off, right? Um, Austin kicks out of a pile driver for Brett. Uh, Vader goes for the moonsault on Taker. He misses. Just get constant action. Stone Cold is the first man eliminated as Brett tosses him over the top rope. Then Vader and Brett unite against Taker for a little bit. Vader then turns on Brett, takes his mask off. Uh, you know you know it was a hype match when Vader was going to take his mask off when he's fucking bleeding. Um, as uh, Paul Bear, formerly uh, Taker's uh, manager, hits Taker with the urn. Uh, this, is, this was a moment that I hated because it made no sense. Uh, Brett hits a superplex on Vader, puts Vader in the sharpshooter, and then Taker breaks up the sharpshooter. Because again, why would you do that? You should want Vader to be out of the match. You should be trying to help Bret Hart finish him by submission in any way that you can. But Taker breaks up the submission. Fucking hate when that happens because it makes no fucking sense. Really pisses me off. Um, Austin gets back involved. He's pissed off that Bret eliminated him, so he attacks Bret. Uh, Vader goes for the Vader bomb. But Taker sits up as he goes for the move, so he misses, or as he's about to go for the move, and then he sits up, hits him in the nuts, and he dumps Vader over the top rope. So now it is just Taker and Brett. Taker sends Austin packing. Crowd is really behind the Undertaker. They are roaring for him. He hits a choke slam on Brett. Taker is about to hit Brett with the tombstone pile driver. But Stone Cold interferes, trying to pull Brett out and eliminate him over the top rope. Taker grows after Austin. Brett is able to slip behind him, get him for an, an O'Connor roll for a near fall. And then as they continue to toss tussle uh, near the ropes, Brett is able to gain the upper hand. And Bret Hart clotheslines the Undertaker over the top rope and wins the WWF title. Brett the Hitman Hart is champion 24 minutes and five seconds afterwards, Psycho Sid hits the ring and they stare each other down to end the show. Last week we had Nasty Boys Public Enemy and that match was super hard to follow and I hated it. This one was also hard to follow, but at least you have cool guys and like the match makes more sense and it's not just like cliche throw weapons at each other. Uh, Vader and Austin flipping each other off before the match. Always love when guys do that. Just a quick way to generate some heat. Um, I give them points for the uniqueness of this match because again, like you're not really jobbing anyone out. No one's taking a real clean pin, and you get four guys of an amazing power level. And considering like how multi-man matches really aren't a thing still at this point, like we uh, 
Triple threat matches are, you know, still kind of like revolutionary. Fatal four ways. I can't imagine they've ever thought of that uh, outside of like a, just a two on two tag team match. Imagine, so, imagine introducing them to the concept of the six pack challenge. Oh my gosh, Mass revolutionary! Melter, Melter would fucking hate it. Uh, Melter, Melter would fucking <laughs> <laughs> like commit an unspeakable crime. But like this, this they made this work really well, and I think it's a testament to how good all four of these guys were. The choke slam on Vader just starts off this match just super over, um, insane spot. It always looks really good when Young Taker was doing it. It looks horrible now. Whenever you have old guys trying to do a choke slam, it just always looks bad. But these are you know prime guys, and Vader gets up for it. His eye looked Vader's eye. Speaking of Vader, looked horrible as this match went on. Like it looked like. We talked about uh, last week as well. I mean, we mentioned Seth Rollins uh, gouging out Rey Mysterio's eye in kayfabe. Uh, Vader's eye looks like it's about to come out. Uh, he still hits a moonsault that looks picture perfect. Um, huge pop for the first elimination. Um, the superplex on Vader, man. That uh, fuck. Vader is the best big man to have ever done it. Just yeah. it, it, without a doubt. The guy knows how to work a match. He's not above, uh, you know, making another guy look good. He lets guys get in really good looking offense. Like he got choke slam and superplex in this match. God bless that man. Uh, I've said it. I've said it for years. The best, like when you talk about like a super heavyweight type wrestler, there's never been another Vader. That motherfucker, every single match he was ever in, something happened that made you go, oh, holy shit, dude. Every time. Uh, it seemed like the crowd really wanted Taker to win, which is, uh, you know, just something to have noted throughout that match. The eruption that happens with Vader getting eliminated. Like, the crowd erupts from that one. Uh, Austin saving Brett. And uh, you mentioned the uh, sharpshooter save by Taker. That's probably the first instance of somebody interrupting a fall for no reason. Yeah. I hated that. I, that was my le- I, And this was a match I generally really liked. Yeah, it was fun. And, but I, I was like, I felt like I was waiting for it to happen. I was like, these motherfuckers, these guys have never been in a fatal four way ever. Like, this is going to happen at some point. I knew it was going to happen that someone was going to break up a pin or a submission hold and in, in just a way that made zero sense. And it fucking happened. Yeah. Um, and the Steve Austin part kind of distracts from the match, too, but that it's not too much. So and just sets up more things. Uh, but yeah, super fun match. Yeah. Again, it is, like I said earlier on, it is a car crash in the best possible way. Yeah, you, you, you compared it to the um, shitty Nasty Boys match from last week, which is similar in that, like, yeah, there's it's a brawl and there's a lot going on and all four guys are doing shit at the same time and it's hard to follow. But that's true, except this one is good. Uh, and, and it's, yeah, there's obviously much more star power and talent level in this one than in that match, but there's just something about it that is a lot more, I don't know, it feels more like a, like a real fight in that sense, even though it's a pro wrestling match, it is these guys are four guys with the highest possible stakes, and they're fucking going for it, you know what I mean? It's less of a, like, you, you kind of, you know. It matters, feel, the match matters. It, you feel the stakes in the way that the wrestling, the match, and the desperation in which they are constantly fighting and trying to do something at all times. There's no like, 
you know, sitting around the side of the fucking ring, hoping that no one notices them and taking a break. No, they're fucking fighting the whole time. And they're, and they're going all out the whole time. You know what I mean? And that's the reason why it works. And also because Vader puts in a fucking shift in this match. Clinic. My man punched the fucking clock that night. Real, real, uh, real lunch pail style uh, wrestling there by a uh, hard hat lunch pail style wrestling there by a uh, big baby. I'm not uh, sure he punched out. Really fucking fun match. I, I just, you know, it's, it's not necessarily, it, it, you know, an artistic classic, but there is something gripping about it the whole time. Like I couldn't look away the whole time I was watching. There's just, Something to draw your attention at every moment. And I really liked it. So. Two and a half marks. It's the name of the podcast. It's the thing we do at the end of the episode. Angelo, you're going to do that thing. All right. The negative half mark goes to copyright infringement because Final Four, man, the NCAA has to have been salivating at the potential lawsuit that they could have levied if this was like five years later. I'm not sure when Final Four got big or had marquee names, but it feels like it should have been around for a long time or when modern copyright laws ever took effect. But like, man, this is some infringement right here. It definitely was before 1997. Exactly. So So I I don't, I don't know. I don't know how we got away with this. No idea. Zero. None. Zilch. Because like, if they had named something WWE Super Bowl, you know, they would have got fucking sued. Like Super Stuff. Brawl is just far enough away, but Super yeah, Bowl. Super Brawl, obviously, they did the Raw Bowl one time, and I think '96 they did the Raw Bowl where they had a uh, like a football themed six man tag match. <laughs> it was really <laughs> fucking stupid. They've tried to do the halftime show match pay per view thing. Yes, most famously the uh, Rock Mankind Empty Arena match, which actually fucking great. Shocker. So that one works. That one worked. My one mark, Vader. I mean, come on, man. Vader, absolute shift, absolute unit. Just, I think there has only been one Vader match on the pod that I did not enjoy, and it was not Vader's fault. So, just just amazing hit rate. Uh, and then my two marks. It's going to young studs facing off before they were big. Like, I get Rocky Maivia versus Hunter Hersemsley isn't a work rate classic, but for me, a nerd and a Jets fan who always has to look forward to drafts because our team is never actually good for 10 years now, I have to look forward to prospects and the potential of these prospects and seeing how these prospects play out. So for me, there's something sick about just like seeing guys before they're big and just seeing how they develop. It's why 2.0 scratches that age as well, because you're getting to see these guys before they're on main screen, uh, main TV the main brand, and you're just going to be like, man, I got to watch them while they're figuring shit out. And that's always a really cool kind of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to give my half mark. I also got Vader on here. Just what a lad. What a fucking lad. They only made one Vader, and then they stopped making Vaders. They, they forgot how to make more Vaders. If anyone tries to tell you that they're, they're like Vader, they're fucking lying because there's only one Vader. That person, this hypothetical person that I just met in my head, they can go fuck themselves. I want to give my one mark to Rocky Maivia's high cross body. You know, it's it's a novelty to see Dwayne Johnson do a big move off the top rope. Let's not forget, he was a Division One football player. He is a hell of an athlete. 
And it actually looks fucking great and very impressive for guys like 6'5", 270, to be hitting a move like that. With that kind of juice, can't imagine it was super fun to take because he's so fucking big doing that move. But it looks fucking phenomenal, I have to say. And, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give my two marks to this style of multi-man match where just a lot of shits. I and mean, we've talked about it before. This is a type of match WWF and WWE have historically been good at. Big multi-man match where something is happening at every moment. And this is honestly one of the first one of those in WWE. This is the prototype for the shit that we would get later on. And it is all action all the way. And like I said, there is something about it that just grips you with the just the, the pure, the desperation which they are fighting and the way that you can tell that stakes matter to the guys in this match. It just it hits for me, really hits for me. Really like this match. Really like the style of match. WWE does it really well. So that will wrap up our coverage in your house. Final four fucks probably end up being one of our shortest episodes in a while. I have to say. Yes, it will. Uh, next week, it is going to be our 90th episode. And as we do, we usually every every 10 episodes we go away. With the randomizer picks something else. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to say exactly what show we're going to be watching. Angelo, though, has gotten is, has fallen in love with a young man named Kinosuke Takeshita. He's been wrestling in AEW, uh, recently come over from DDT. He really wants to watch DDT show with Takeshita on it. I have the one show, like, I, I don't know exactly, because I, I need to find a good, like, full version of it. I have the show that I want to watch. I just have struggled to find a full video of it. I thought I had one on a Russian website, got redirected to porn. <laughs> so not sure how it's going to work out. But at some point next week, we will be watching a DDT show, which is going to be a, a pretty a big departure from a lot of the stuff that we've been watching and give us a whole crop of you guys to talk about. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Refresh the guys. Kanosuke uh, Takashita. I always say Takashita because I think of it in each separate character, but I know I'm mispronouncing it. But future world champion, and I, by God, I'm going to ask him to be on the podcast. It'll probably be a no, but imagine how cool it would be if it is. Yeah, the man is just, as someone who, like, watches DDT pretty regularly, I don't, like, watch every show or anything, but, like, I, I'm usually pretty, like, plugged into what they're doing. Like, it has been so fucking fun. To watch him, like, as somebody that, like, only, like, really hardcore, like, heads knew, uh, come over to the United States, and then just instantly become a fucking superstar. <laughs> like, he's there for, like, a month, and now he's, like, everyone is fucking in love with this guy. The hangman match that, is still fantastic. Because he's just that fucking good, you know? There, there's a match yeah. that Lee Moriarty is teasing between him and uh, Kanosuke, and I'm just like, oh, man. That would make my dick fall off. <laughs> It's going to be so good, man. I would no longer have a dick. Have you seen the uh, speedball match yet? I have not seen the speedball match yet. No, it hasn't gone up on any of the fucking websites that I use to find shit. I have to look it up. But yeah, I I have been like waiting with bated breath for that to fucking show up. Really, seriously. Uh, I did, though, watch the speedball Moxley match from Wrestling Revolver. And that was really fucking good. So... You know, the wrestling is that one. the wrestling is good, folks. 
wrestling is really good, ladies and gentlemen. We love the we love the wrestling. It's 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 a good time. So yeah, next week on the podcast, DDT. What is it gonna be? I don't fucking know. I hope I see Dan Shokudino's penis. I probably will at some point. <laughs> so that's it next week on the Two and a Half Marks podcast. Uh, so for my good friend Angela and Lisa, my name is David Statton. Thanks everybody for listening.